Trevor Blackman now. Real people, inspiring stories, living legends, award-winning talk show. Trevor Blackman now. My, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time I'm gonna be like him, yeah You know I'm gonna be like him And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon the Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Just the other day So much like a man I just had to say Son, I'm proud of you Didn't you sit for a while? He shook his head And he said with a smile What I'd really like, Dad Is the bar of the car keys See you later Can I have them, please? And the cats in the cradle And the silver spoon Little boy blue And the man on the moon When you're coming home, son I don't know when But we'll get together then Just like me, my boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Dad, we're gonna. Have 
have a good time there. Cat in the Middle, Harry Chaplin, 1974. I love that. Love, love. Rediscovered it in my collection the other day. I was like, yes. I am playing that song for you today. Welcome, it's uh, Trevor here, Trevor Blackman now until two o'clock on Maritime Radio. We're also welcoming our listeners in the US on GetLiveRadio.com for the final hour of the show for once. Um, in the wake of what's happening in Gaza, I really, really wanted to share this hour with you today. It's, well, when you hear it, you'll understand. This is our golden hour. Uh, this is where we all started way back when, but stay ahead, because still to come on Maritime Radio after two, hooray for musicals. I'm hurting like a burning blaze. I told my husband, let's pray for Abdullah. He will come back. But it was my last goodbye for him. May God have mercy on his soul. They took my heart from me. I was waiting for my son, but he didn't come back. I hadn't slept for three nights praying for him. They told me he's in the European hospital, and I was praying that it wouldn't be true. Time now to give over the entire hour in order to revisit a poignant chapter from the stage of life with excerpts from the Gaza monologues. Originally aired on Wednesday the 29th of November last year, these narratives reflect the enduring human spirit amidst Gaza's complex realities. Directed by Michael Walling of Border Crossing, these monologues, in partnership with Astar Theatre, resonate deeply echoing the cries and whispers of Gaza for a world that needs to listen more than ever. The monologues were written uh, in 2010, following the first of the incursions into Gaza. Um, they were written by young people who Ashtar Theatre worked with in Gaza in the aftermath of that conflict. The conflict in which 1,440 Palestinians died 431 of them being young people under the age of 18. Very often the figures seem shockingly weighted towards youth and that's for two reasons. One of which is that 50% of the population of Gaza is under 18 years of old, old. And the second reason is that the slaughter is absolutely indiscriminate. It was extremely important when Ashtar Theatre started to work with young people that they were recognising the long-term effects that having lived through the conflict could have had on those young people. Some of them were very young, as young as 13 or 14 years old. So it's important when we're listening to these monologues tonight that we take on board that those were the people who wrote them. You'll see at the end where some of them are now, those that we know about. Of course, there are many that we don't know about, and um, the worst may well be the case. A few years after the monologues were written, we were lucky enough to collaborate with Ashtar Theatre in Ramallah in the West Bank. Um, and some of the readers you'll be hearing tonight went with me there to work on Brian Woolen's extraordinary play, This Flesh is Mine. While we were working there, one of the actresses uh, Razan Alaze uh, had the horrific experience that her younger brother was shot at um, when protesting on Nakba Day, May the 15th. Uh, he was shot in the back along with two friends of his who were protesting at the wall. Luckily, Mohamed Alaze survived that experience, 
but his two friends, um, Nadim Nawain, who was 17, and Mohammed Salame, who was 16, did not. Uh, that event was not much covered, well, hardly covered at all in the Western press. And yet what followed, the revenge abduction of three young Israeli boys was very, very widely covered. Um, and it was that abduction which led to the 2014 attack on Gaza. In that attack, some 2,200 people were killed, um, of whom about 500 were aged below 18. And now we're seeing it again. Only this time the figures are so, so much higher. The death toll so, so much worse. The extremity of the bombardment beyond even the imagination of people who had been in Gaza. And so with this reading tonight, we join in the International Day of Solidarity with the people of Gaza. And we call upon that small minority who lead rich and powerful countries to recognize the humanity that these monologues express and to use their power to bring this slaughter to an end. And I'm now going to share with you a message that's come to us directly uh, from the executive director of Ashtar Theatre, Iman Aoun. Hello, old and new friends of Ashtar Theatre and Palestine. I would like to thank you all for being with us on this call. I am Iman Aoun, co-founder of Ashtar Theatre, creator of the Gaza Monologues. When we did the Gaza Monologues back in 2010, we thought that that would be the first and last war on our people in Gaza. But alas, it did not work out. Therefore, there was another war, and another, and another, and it continued on and on and on for the last 17 years. At the moment, with all that you have seen in the media, and all that you have done in your countries, in your cities, still nothing on the ground is being changed. We, as a small company in Palestine, were trying to keep the voice of the people of Palestine and of the people of Gaza heard. And therefore, we are calling upon you that these monologues, they do not only go into your hearts and minds, but that these monologues will become a paveway for a real change, a real pressure on your governments to take action, action that will bring justice and long lasting solution for a sovereign state for Palestine, that the world will all agree to have and will all recognize 
the state of Palestine. Because through peace and with peace, we can all live as regular people. So having heard from Imam, so we'll now move, if we may, to the first of the Gaza monologues. Ahmad Tahak, born 1996, Al-Daraj. All my life, I thought Gaza was the biggest and most beautiful city in the world. But once, I went with my dad to Jaffa and came back with my head spinning. To that, I felt that Gaza was the size of a needle hole and wasn't beautiful. And it keeps getting smaller and worse. No one can breathe. And on top of it all, we're not allowed to travel. Every time I walk the streets of Gaza, I suffocate. Jaffa's pictures won't leave my mind. I ask myself, where are we? We're so far from the rest of the world. That's why I'm always at the sea, because I feel it's not from Gaza. I keep writing my name on the sand and the waves come and erase it. Before the war, I wanted to be an electronics engineer, but since the war, I hate going to school. I feel I won't be anything important in my life. And even if I will, so what? It's all the same in this city. Am I going to be the prettiest flower on a garbage heap? When the bombing begins, all the schools in Gaza went home, except us. The principal wouldn't let us leave. The kids freaked out, and in a second they went out in the schoolyard. The weird thing is that I'm in the Zaytune school, the one near the Ministry of Passports, which got hit first. With the first hit, a piece of a rocket flew onto the biggest tree in the school and sliced it in two like a sugarcane. As soon as we saw that, no one stayed in school, students, teachers, or the principal, we fled for our lives. I thought the only martyr that I would see in the war is the tree. But as soon as I got home, there were four martyrs in our streets as they're waiting for me to say goodbye to them. When I was done with that, three more martyrs from the same family in our street arrived. As soon as we buried them and returned, our neighbor's house, two houses down the street, was bombed by the army and their house was wiped off the ground. Everyone died. I felt most sad for the little girls. I felt the war was targeting me alone out of all the people in Gaza. All day, I'd been seeing martyrs. In the Shifa hospital, I saw a sight that I will never forget. Hundreds of corpses, one on top of the other. Their flesh, their blood and their bones all melting on each other. You wouldn't know the woman from the man or even the child. Piles of flesh on the beds and lots of people screaming and crying, not knowing where their kids are, their men, their women. That night I came home from hospital and was awake till morning from fear. 
I thought that it would be, it would only be that night that I couldn't sleep, but till today I see them in front of me and I can't sleep. Gaza is a plane carrying people and traveling towards the unknown, landing neither in heaven nor in hell. No one knows when it will land and people may stay suspended like that twice my lifetime. All days here are the same. There's nothing new. The simplest thing is that dreams and wishes are hard to make true in Gaza, especially if they're like mine, to be an artist singing and acting and playing music. In Gaza, the only music is that of death and dancing on wounds. If I go abroad and study directing, how would society look at me? After I graduate, would the country be like now or worse? Everything for me is foggy and unclear, like people's faces on Friday at the Ferris market and like the day the war began. The first hit was at the Ministry of Passports. My friend and I came out of an exam it was the first day of the first term exams. We sat in front of the school gate talking and waiting for the rest of our friends so we'd go home together. Suddenly there was a series of explosions. I was in shock and felt that I was going to die. We ran away and I was really scared. I saw the women running and screaming and beating their faces. And I had no idea what was going on. I felt I couldn't stand on my legs and the world started spinning. I fainted and stopped feeling anything. Then I woke up to my friend's voice shouting, Amani, for God's sake, wake up. When I woke up, I started crying, not knowing where to go or what to do. An older girl helped me and took me home. As soon as I arrived, my mother took me in her arms. I was very tired, but at that moment I rested and needed to fall into someone's arms. The hardest thing to feel is that your moment of death is near. The war was a black ghost that covered Gaza's day and night. It imposed its hell on people, on the earth and sky and air that we breathe. After the war, I had a breakdown. A big wild wave overtook my soul. I was thinking I wouldn't be able to come out from under it. But it was like a hand was extended to me through the theater, a rubber ring that pulled me out from under the wave. Today, I feel a comfort that I haven't felt in a long time. And I hope I can always stay like this. Ashraf Sosi, born 1994, Alweda Street. All the neighborhood kids loved him. He was calmer than a breeze. He would take his pocket money from my father and give it to him. Everyone loved him. His friends came and he went with them to school. They went out running like butterflies, flying off the ground, like the world was created for them. 
the Israeli planes were in the air, the sound of the helicopter was like a monster waiting to pounce on its prey. A car of wanted men was driving along Yarmouk Street, and the butterflies were near the car. The butterflies didn't know that this car would be the fire that would burn them. A rocket fell on the car. My brother, Tarek, flew five meters off the ground. He flew higher than the car. They came down walking. Nothing was the matter with him. The ambulance came and took the corpses. People told him to get into the ambulance, but he told them, nothing is the matter with me. And he kept going to school. A hundred meters later, he put his hand on his heart and fell down a martyr. I was in the street waiting for the school bus and my sister told me to go see what's going on. I did, but I didn't see Tarek and I went on to school. While I was in class, my uncles came and told me, you will take three days off school. I didn't suspect anything. We got in the car. My uncle told the driver to turn off the news. Then I started getting suspicious because my uncle loves the news. We got home and there was a big crowd of people around. Before I went down, I saw my father sitting on the chair crying. It was the first time I saw my father cry and he was holding the picture of my brother, Tarek. I asked him, Dad, was my brother martyred? He said, God have mercy on his soul. The ambulance brought him from the hospital. We all ran to him to say goodbye. He was sleeping like an angel with the book that he'd been carrying still in his hands. My father refused to let us go with him to the cemetery, but I got in the car and went and said goodbye to him. And I read the Fatiha prayer on his grave. I kept going for three months every day to sit at his grave and talk to him. At night, I stare at his picture in the room with the hero martyr, Tarek, written on it. Since my brother was martyred, I got used to sleeping in the bed alone. We used to sleep one on top of the other, legs on top of heads, Sometimes it felt like all our limbs were jumbled together. But today, I have a bed by myself. I'll never forget my brother. Allah Hajjaj, born 1996. Al-Shuyaye, Al-Montar. I feel like running, running, 
running in the streets till my headscarf flies in the sky and I fly after it. Sometimes I feel like being totally crazy, but I can't. It's the first time I say things like this. Maybe they're not the kind of things I say, or maybe they're the things that I can't express or I'm scared to express. Why do my parents treat me like this? I look at the girls my age, how they're living their lives, and I envy them. I wish I could be like them in their confidence and freedom. I wish a ship would carry me to a distant island and throw me on its shore, far away from the world, from everything, especially the war. Speaking of the war, all the war was one pile and mum was the other. I'll never understand why my mum kept describing things to me that I'd already seen. She and I were standing on the balcony. They bombed our neighbor's house and one of the neighbors died. We saw how the house was destroyed and how the corpse flew onto the street. And you can imagine what happened to the family after that. Did it end? No, it didn't. Mum started telling me about how our neighbor's house was bombed and how our neighbor flew from the house like she was talking to someone who hadn't even been standing with her. And on it went. Stories from mum all through the war. And I was the only listener. We'd be sitting watching TV and they would say there was bombing or destruction in some place. The report would be 15 minutes long, but mum's repeated report would be two hours. She'd talk about the report like I hadn't been with her. I started to doubt myself. Had I been sitting with her or not? I swear I was there. I was really there. I was sitting next to her. Anyway, thankfully mum isn't with you. Otherwise, she'd give you a headache with her stories. I'm Jad Abu Yassin, born 1993, Ash. Shatty camp. A day before the war, Gaza for me was joy and happiness. Trips and going to the sea, life seemed to be happy. And I wasn't thinking about anything. I had one dream that Gaza would develop in arts and sports. I felt that everything was fine except these two things, but it turned out that, well, nothing was fine. No arts, sports, health, or safety. It's all the same. Gaza stopped being the city of my dreams because my dream is to be an actor. And we're going to be an actor for 20 people in Gaza and wait till the border opens. If it was in my hands, I'd try as much as possible to reduce wars, death and violence. It's a shame for every drop of blood that falls on the ground. Make the silence and the abnormal tolerance that people have. I wish all Gaza would wake up tomorrow and walk the streets shouting loudly, enough. And the war started, we were just playing footy and the atmosphere was strange, the sky was red. Suddenly we heard the sound of a plane. I'd never heard a sound like that. We were all scared and lay on the ground waiting for death. And after that sound of a loud explosion meters away from us, we started looking in each other's eyes and faces and 
Santi saying goodbye. Turned out the bombing wasn't meant for us. He was targeting a car, wanted for men on the road above. But we kept on lying down, waiting for the second rocket. And all I could think about was me two older brothers who were with me. I was more afraid for them than anyone else. And I think they felt the same way. He carried me sports shorts and ran away from the field. As I ran, I stepped on a piece of shrapnel, took it out of my leg and went out onto the street. And I saw them. There were three martyrs. And you couldn't make out the features. The first one's legs were on fire and he was looking at me and I was looking at him. Among everyone there, he was warning me about something and I didn't understand, but it was just, and he was warning me about a car coming fast towards us. Then I knew the real meaning of death. And instead of being three martyrs, there could have been four. I was shocked at the scene and I stood there watching. When I woke up after passing out, I just ran home. The war came and went and we're still living it. The victims are always poor people. They've got nothing to do with anything. Even when there's an earthquake or a flood or anything in any country, the victims are always the poor people. As though there's a universal conspiracy against them. After the war, everyone started lying to everyone else. Lies, cheating, dishonesty, deceitfulness. For positions and interest, the leaders and powerful people commit slaughters and crimes without batting an eyelid or feeling any guilt. Poor people get poorer and sick ones get sicker. I've lost trust in all the mottos. The biggest speech from the biggest leader is All speeches in the world don't warm up a cold person or someone who's sleeping in a tent after the war. This crisis is the whole world. The crisis is that the whole world is watching us as though there's nothing going on and they're still making speeches. Since I was a small kid, I've dreamt of being a famous football player. I believed I would fulfill my dreams. But today, there are a million obstacles in my path. Before, there were no playing fields for adults or even kids. Then the siege came and made everything worse. If I was a prime minister, I'd pay most attention to the Ministry of Youth and Sports. I would build playing fields everywhere, especially in schools, and I'd let the students play freely, not be kicked out by the school guard. I'd abolish all club fees and preserve all parks. But dreams, security, hope, and the future are all words that lose their meaning in a city that kills the smallest dream possible. I was a goalkeeper, and my friend Mohammed kept telling me, I'm going to get a goal, but I've always stopped his goals. On the 7th of January, 2009, a day in the war, I was sitting at the door of our house and it was foggy. And someone came to tell me your friend Mohammed was martyred. Of course, I didn't believe it. I went looking for my friend and I was really scared of the idea of death. I got to the mosque and saw the closest friend of my life, Mohammed, wrapped in the flag of Palestine and torn to pieces. I cried a lot, a lot, and I was sad because I couldn't hug or kiss him. And I started holding him. And we took him to the cemetery and buried him. And I kept sitting there, telling him I loved him. 
And I was really upset because he left me alone in this world. As I was leaving the cemetery, there was heavy bombing. I felt that the angel of death was following me and not leaving me alone. But thank God I'm still alive. The Gaza monologues continue after the break. Follow Trevor now on Instagram at official TBN show.